0: This podcast is sponsored by Podbeam. Podbeam is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbeam to host the Classic Gaming Brothers. Download the free Podbeam podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in just minutes. Podbeam provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbeam app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbeam at www.podbeam.com and use the code podcast 21 For your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free, check it out.
1: Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach.
0: And I'm Seth. And we're
1: the Classic Gaming Brothers.
0: That's right, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers.
1: This is episode 93. Seven away from episode 100. Ooh, 100, 100, which we have zero, nothing zero. planned for. We have nothing planned for
0: very little nothing. This episode, it's in a good place.
1: Well, we got a good episode coming at you. But before we get into this episode, we're going to talk about some games that we've been recently playing. That's right. Do you want to go first? Sure.
0: I love going first.
1: I know you do because you love hearing the sound of your voice. Tell me what you've been recently playing.
0: So I've recently been playing a game called Stardew Valley, which I don't know, we might have you might have been recently playing it many years ago.
1: (laughs) That's not recent if it was many years ago, but I was playing Stardew Valley a few years ago. Yes, I played it actually during Extra Life before we became the Classic Gaming Brothers. Oh. To be fair, we have always been brothers who game, but before we had a podcast, I did Extra Life um, just with my friends, and I played like six hours of Stardew Valley, I
0: think. It's a game you could definitely play six hours of Stardew Valley. Mm -hmm. I fell asleep Uh, while playing it. Yeah, which is fine. It's it's a
1: very relaxing game. It
0: is not a game you play at the end of Extra Life 24-hour if you don't want to go to sleep. Yeah. So Stardew Valley, for those who don't know about stardew valley was a game that was developed and published by the developer concerned ape who developed stardew valley as a one-man show and it has become very successful and he started a studio called chucklefish Mm-hmm. So and he, he's the well he's the publisher Chucklefish. So now he publishes small indie games as well as works on Stardew Valley. He has a a Magic School game that he's working on as well that's coming out. Witch Haven, I think. Yeah, Witchbrook. maybe Witch Haven. So he's working on Witchbrook, which is a Stardew Valley set in the Harry Potter world, I guess. And I'm sure that's going to be amazing because Stardew Valley is amazing. If you're unaware of what Stardew Valley is, it's a farm simulator type game your grandfather passes away and gives you a farm to run and you have to make it successful or else you you don't survive really well i mean i guess you do survive you just don't have any money so you can't afford anything yeah uh because that's the life of a farmer you need to grow things and harvest them and sell them for a profit yeah. This particular playthrough, I'm in fall, so I'm moved through to the fall season. I'm doing pretty successful. I have, um, it's a hybrid farm slash maple orchard. I have a bunch of maple trees that I harvest for, I guess it's the sugar shack, I guess. I harvest maple syrup from my maple trees that populate a majority of my farm because I knock down every other tree and I plant more maple trees. And then I have a bunch of farm zones that I use to farm the most productive plant for the season, be that cranberries blueberries or strawberries strawberries for spring blueberries for summer and cranberries for fall so yeah that's what uh i've been playing recently it's a lot of fun it's definitely a one more turn type of game especially since you can't save until you go to sleep so if you make a lot of progress on a day and you have to go somewhere, you have to either indefinitely pause your game or you have to go immediately to sleep to save the game. What about you, Zach? What have you been recently been playing?
1: Seth, recently I have been playing a game that you had as a byway pass and I had as a byway pass. And that game is Back for Blood. Now, Back for Blood is an upcoming multiplayer first-person shooter game being developed by Turtle Rock Studios and published by Warner Brothers. However, it did go through an open beta that as of the recording of this episode just ended a few days ago as of the release of this episode has been ended for nearly a month but it is slated for release on october 12th 2021 uh i don't know i in my notes i wrote 2012 which that's not true (laughs) (laughs) true. but yeah this is the the first time i played the game uh obviously because it's going through beta Um, when i first played it my computer did not run it very well it was very choppy with the frame rate and the audio was messed up and would sounded very compressed turns out this wasn't a game problem this was a nvidia problem because i updated my graphics card and all of a sudden the game ran way better (laughs) turns out my graphics card just needed a driver update once it was updated the game ran pretty much perfectly apart from some obvious issues in the beta yes it was a beta so there were some glitches (laughs) some of the infected who in this game are called the ridden r-i-d-d-e-n would t-pose at you because their animation would fail now for people who don't know too much about modern gaming maybe t-posing is when a character defaults to their Essentially, their default model, which it looks like their arms are stretched out in kind of a, a T shape, as the name implies. T pose. Sometimes there's a posing, that's different. Anyway, uh, yeah, the monsters would T pose at me sometimes, which kind of made them a little more terrifying, I think, because you had these like static monsters floating at you. In the game, there is money that you have to collect, it's called copper. And there was a glitch I encountered a few times with my friends, and that glitch was that the copper would spawn an object that wouldn't be able to be moved, like dirt or a rock. So you couldn't collect the money that spawned. It was very odd. It was like, why would it spawn there? Very strange. And the best glitch that occurred happened on the second playthrough I did. So when my computer was fully updated in terms of drivers and stuff, the game was running smoothly. We were in the final part of the first act of the beta, which is the act is split up into two missions. So in the final part, you're supposed to load a howitzer and fire it at this mine entrance to close the mine so that the infected can't get out. When you do this, every time you fire the howitzer, the zombies spawn and they start attacking you. However, when my friends and I were playing this time the howitzer would go off and the zombies didn't spawn at first we were like getting prepped we had everything set up we had a whole bunch of traps ready and then like i fired the howitzer we heard some monster scream nothing happened so i was like okay i'll fire the next round so i fired the next round nothing happened i was like okay next round (laughs) nothing happened finally it was the fifth round and we were good and we we left and we won the mission which made it feel much less urgent yeah so far i'm really i really enjoyed the game i actually i don't know if i'm 100% sold on it so there is some things about the game that i've heard are planned to be implemented and also that i can assume are going to be implemented such as microtransactions and potentially having certain characters be locked behind paywalls so the characters in the game unlike in left for dead um, which is if i haven't explained it Back for Blood is like the spiritual sequel to Left 4 Dead. With with Back for Blood, the characters all have different perks. So some characters, for example, spawn with unique weapons, some spawn with perks that are added to them as you're playing the game, like for example, the character might offer the ability for the entire team to have a slightly higher percentage of ammo pickup when they pick up ammo sort of deal. They they're not like crazy perks, but they're still perks that help improve gameplay depending on how you build your loadout however some of the characters in the beta were locked probably because they're either not finished or because they want to restrict things to the final build also some people think that some of the characters are going to be locked behind a paywall kind of like how rainbow six siege does their characters their dead, operators. Dead by daylight. and dead by daylight yeah we we will have to see how the game turns out right we'll have to see how everything happens when it when it happens so far i'm impressed by the game i just don't know if i'm 100 sold on it to pick it up when it comes out at like 60 bucks i think i might wait a couple of months at least i mean i'll probably buy it when it's still mostly retail or maybe when it goes on sale for like 10 percent 20 percent off but i also want to wait a few months just to let all the initial problems settle down because if anything that i've learned from games like battlefront 2 or um, anything else that massively relies on multiplayer usually the first week is awful so uh you know i'm going to definitely wait at least to purchase the game but i did have fun playing the beta so that's my recently played and also kind of a sequel to my bio wait pass that i did a long time ago about this game anyway
0: to talk about something completely different
1: in the mighty words of monty python and now for something completely different because today we are talking about a video game system that seth and i never had as children it's true i actually i did own one but it wasn't until I was in college and then I sold it, so.
0: It was a prequel to a game system that we did own.
1: That's right, because per the tradition, Seth and I only own sequels of things, both games and consoles. But we're talking today about the Sega Master System, also known as the SG-1000 Mark III, which is a worse name so we'll call it the master
0: system (laughs) it's a great name it is
1: and the reason it's called that is because the master system while being released prior to the genesis is not sega's first console on july 15th 1983 Sega, who at the time was a subsidiary of the American company Golf and Western Industries, released its first video game console in Japan. And they released that console on the same day as another company releasing their first video game console. Nintendo, with the Famicom. So Sega's system was called the SG-1000. SG standing for Sega Game. 1000 being a number.
0: Pretty cool. Yeah. The
1: SG-1000 as its base model, the original SG-1000, is kind of a cool little system. It was actually built entirely with off-the-shelf components to keep costs down. The machine ran on the readily available Zilog Z80 CPU, had one kilobyte of RAM, it output at a resolution of 256 by 192 pixels, and made use of 16 colors and 32 on-screen sprites. It also had a Texas Instruments graphics chip and a Texas Instruments sound chip, all off-the-shelf components. So essentially, if you had the uh, what you might call the BIOS of the SG-1000, you could have built an SG-1000 like out of a out of a breadboard. Um, you just needed the special chip that had the actual data on it. Now, the SG-1000 also did fairly well in Japan upon its initial release. Uh, it actually did a little better than Nintendo at first because. Unlike Nintendo, Sega had 21 games available at the first year of release, and Nintendo was facing a recall of Famicons due to a severe fault on the circuit board. So,
0: Sega started out with the upper hand. And and a fault on a circuit board for, like, the Famicom could be as simple as, like, a a soldering point being connected. Yes, yeah. And causing a loop and... You have to bring it back to just break up that little piece of solder on every single unit. Anyway, by the end of 1983, uh, Sega sold 163,000 units. And with that amount of unit velocity, they saw a vision of video games in the market. And this market was prime. This is a successful product. They should make more of it. They did lack one thing and that was name and brand recognition. Even though their machine did not have a fault like the Nintendo Famicom, they also didn't have Donkey Kong or Mario who were all not only popular on the Nintendo platform but also in arcade systems. In 1984, Sega faced new and interesting change of leadership. Charles Blodorn, the founder of Gulf and Western, ended up passing away and his passing away led to the company divesting all the non-core businesses of Gulf and Western, which included Sega. Following this, Sega released their follow-up to the SG1000 called the SG-10002, which why I don't know why they, they should have called it the SG2000. <laughs> It's sometimes called the Mark II. This machine included detachable joysticks and a new type of cartridge called MyCard, which were pocket-sized. The machine, despite the name, was actually more of a revision of the older machine and still featured nearly identical specs. Sega needed a way to compete with Nintendo and to do so they released another console, the Sega Mark III in 1985. This machine was a bit more beefier than the SG-1000. While it ran on the same processor, it did clock in at 4 megahertz as opposed to the 1000's 3.58 megahertz and in this time even a 0.5 gain in megahertz was still a significant Change of clock speed. It also featured eight kilobytes of RAM and 16 kilobytes of dedicated video RAM and it outputted at 256 by 192 pixels. But it featured 32 available colors on screen versus the 16 colors on screen. And it not only supported its own ROM cartridges, but also the library of the SG-1000 games and the Sega card game. So the Mark three could support pretty much everything that Sega put out so far and it did it better.
1: So while the SG-1000 was released in Europe and Australia and Japan, of course, it was not released in America. This changed with the SG-1000 Mark III. The Mark III launched in the United States in 1986 with an entirely new design and a new name, the Master System. The redesign, to kind of put it into your mind real quick, the original SG-1000 Mark III looks kind of like a gray box. It just looks very video gamey. I don't know how to describe it, but you look at it and you're like, that's a video game console, all right. It's got a cartridge slot on the top. That's very obviously a cartridge slot. It's got the buttons that you'd expect. It's kind of shaped like a video game console. The master system looks like a Ferrari. (laughs) I mean, this thing is like angular and smooth and sleek and black and like it's got these red stripes on it. It's got this big old reset button in the front. It's a nice looking console.
0: To Zach's point about the SG-1000 Mark III, if you showed it to somebody and said, this is a VHS player, they would agree. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> it looks, yeah. The the Mark III looked like a utility. The Master System looked fun. Now the name Master System obviously sounds a little different than Mark III. And the name was actually inspired by the competitive nature of both the video game industry and martial arts. The idea was that only one in both situations could be the master in sega they were just branding their console as the master they were like we're not even going to put it to the test we know we're the best the redesign of the machine was intended to appeal to western tastes and to contrast nintendo's design for the NES, because the NES does look like a VCR. It looks like utility, it looks like a box. Sega wanted to look sleeker, they wanted to look better. And this was even down to the box art for the games. So with Sega, they decided to make their box art white, and the reason they made it white was because Nintendo had black box art. So when you're walking down the store shelves, the Sega games would pop separate from the Nintendo games. Speaking of the competition, how did it
0: do? Well, the Master System was supposed to capture the American market, but it chugged. It really struggled with sales. By the end of 1986, the Sega had only sold 125,000 units. Meanwhile, Nintendo, with their NES, sold 1.1 million units. Oops. Which is not so great, right, for Sega? So while the Master System wasn't an incredibly expensive machine, it retailed about $200, which is about $485 in today's money. Even being at $200, it was still $50 more 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 expensive than the NES. And it still lacked a strong library of games, which the Nintendo didn't have. So essentially, for less money, you can get a name brand product versus getting the sega master system which eh, (laughs) maybe not his name brand now to put it simply nes had super mario brothers the master system had safari hunt which I'm sure you all remember Safari Hunt fondly as the game that defined your childhood. (laughs) Sega also struggled with marketing, which is a common theme that we revisit in multiple Sega episodes, which is all of them. Its marketing department was, at the time, in 1985, run by two people, which, let me tell you, two people to run... A marketing department is very tough, especially when that marketing department needs to market a consumer goods product to the United States and the world. I think this is probably the two marketing people were probably the United States marketing people, not necessarily the marketing people for the entire organization. But still. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's rough. In 1987, which is the year of my birth, Sega sold the distribution rights for the Master System to Tonka. Yes, Tonka, the truck company. Sega hoped that Tonka, being a toy company, could master the American toy market because video games in the 80s, were in this weird space. They were an electronic, but they were also a game. They were appealing to children, but were expensive. So the, Sega hoped that maybe Tonka could work on this whole marketing to the American toy market for them. Tonka then proceeded to block any localization of Japanese game, and were less willing to purchase any of the necessary chips to make cartridges. They also, in 1987, became less interested in video games because they bought Kenner toys in that year. And overall, the holiday season was just rough. Now, something that you should know as a listener is a toy company books 80% of their business in the last four weeks of the year. So if you are a company like Hasbro, and this is straight from the source, they book 80% of their business. So if you have a bad holiday season That's a bad 80% of your business. That's people getting laid off bad. So they're not really worried about trying to help Sega with their problems. A lower cost model, the Master System 2, was eventually released in 1990. Sega promoted it, but it also sold poorly. The last licensed Sega Master System game to be released in North America was the 8-bit Master System port of Sonic the Hedgehog in 1991, which was getting ported from the sega genesis
1: which was the better faster stronger system
0: (laughs) which we talk about in our sega genesis episode wherever that may be
1: speaking of games there were 313 games released in total for the master system 15 of these games were exclusive to japan four were exclusive to north america 158 were exclusive to pal regions and 22 were exclusive to brazil some early titles included ports of popular arcade games like double dragon and hang on and double dragon that's a great game i mean no matter what system it's on except for the atari version that version sucks did you know there was an atari 2600 version of double dragon
0: no but i'm sure it's amazing it's
1: it's so bad but
0: so good. Now,
1: what is interesting, however, are the number of titles that were released that were essentially demakes of existing Sega Genesis titles. Because there was a period of time where the Master System was kind of right along with the Sega Genesis. As Seth mentioned, the last North American game was 1991 Sonic the Hedgehog. That wasn't the last game in the world for the Master System. Sonic the Hedgehog was brought over to the Master System and that was right after the release of the Genesis version. The 8-bit version features new levels, a slightly different story, and it also isn't necessarily focused on speed. Which is weird for a Sonic game to not be focused on
0: speed. It's a weird Sonic game. It is.
1: And you actually have the option to search the level for the missing Chaos Emeralds. Um, as opposed to going into like a special stage. They're literally just like lying
0: around. The The episode starts with like Green Hill Zone or like it's like a it's literally just a the color green plus a like a, a hilly location like Emerald Hill or Green Hill or or I, what other colors green um is there another green out there that's a weird like a sea foam?
1: That should that would be a good name for his own sea foam Zone Sea foam.
0: No, no, it's gotta be sea foam mountain. Seafoam mountain. Or seafoam sea foam speed bump. Speed bump. Regardless. <laughs> so it starts off and it feels like you're playing Sonic One, but you're not. You're playing like it's like a real janky version of Sonic One. And it's just Yeah, it feels off. feels off.
1: Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was also on the master system, only in Europe, but this version is vastly different from the genesis version it was actually released a few days prior to the genesis version and the reason it was vastly different and also released prior was because it was built by an entirely different company that was not communicating with sti the company that was creating the the genesis version of sonic 2 weird story sonic the hedgehog 2 is its own mess of worms but it is a really weird game because like seth mentioned usually sonic games start with like green landscape this one starts with underground zone and you're you're in like caves and it's weird and you ride a minecart also on the master system but only outside of the united states was another sonic platformer entirely called sonic chaos north america saw the game gear version but sonic chaos was released for the master system in 1993 in europe and it's a very interesting game and i think i might do a live stream of it some night soon i don't know that's that's not that's not a classic gaming promise that's a classic gaming suggestion possibility possibility
0: classic gaming possibility classic gaming
1: possibility but it's kind of like a version of sonic that it's, it's just hard to describe like you get rocket shoes at one point it's it's yeah it's it's a fun game and before we get off sonic there was actually another platform ring sonic game called Sonic Blast Sonic Blast was a port of the Game Gear version of Sonic Blast, which has nothing to do with Sonic 3D Blast except the art style for the cover is kind of close. Sonic Blast is like Sonic's answer to Donkey Kong Country. That's the best way to describe it. The sprites they use for Sonic are 3D renders that they digitized into sprites, similar to how they do Donkey Kong Country. It's bad. It's a bad game.
0: I want to try and play it.
1: But the Master System version came out in 1997 only in Brazil by Tech Toy, who we're going to talk about a little later. This version is unlicensed, but it's kind of cool. Now, a game that I remember, completely separate from Sonic, is called Penguin Land, which came out in 1987. I don't remember Penguin Land when it came out. I was not alive then. Seth was. He was just alive. Now, <laughs> just barely. So I remember Penguin Land because my dad took me to this used sports goods store in in the town we grew up in, where they sold like hockey gear for kind of inexpensive, and shoes. And sometimes at the front, of their desk, they had some electronics. Usually, cameras. Usually, they were a little more expensive, probably than you would pay for a used camera. But one time we were there, they had some Sega games, and they had this game in a white box called Penguin Land. And I looked at it, and I was like, well, "That's a Genesis game." So my dad, being the great dad that he is, bought the game for me. I took it home, put it in my Genesis. It didn't fit in the cartridge slot, so I could not put it in the Genesis, and I was very sad because I couldn't play Penguin Land. And I, I don't think I've, to this day, played Plague Land. I could play it now if I wanted to, but...
0: Do you still own the cartridge?
1: I don't, actually, because I don't... I think I got rid of
0: it. Oh, you're like, this is trash.
1: Yeah, I don't know what happened to it, to be honest. And I'm very sad about it. But yeah, that's the the thing. I could have had a power... If I had a power-based converter, I could have played Penguin Land. But I didn't have a power-based converter. Because the Genesis, as I mentioned in a previous episode, was fully backwards compatible with the Master System. You just needed to have a special cartridge slot to put it in. Like, you had to have a thing to go on top of your Genesis so that you could put Master System games in it because the cartridge slot was different.
0: Right, and that was called the power-based...
1: Penguin Land, anyway, is a game where you play as a penguin and you are lost on a distant planet and you have to push and drop eggs to the bottom of a scrolling cavern of ice. It's
0: like a puzzly platformer game. Looks fun. Before Sonic was established as Sega's mascot, who decidedly became Sega's mascot to the point where I was playing a Sega game that had nothing to do with Sonic and Sonic was in the intro. (laughs) So before Sonic was this mascot, Alex Kidd was the Sega's mascot. Alex Kidd, those games are platformers versus uh, speed platformers, I guess that is what Sonic is, Uh, where you play as Alex Kidd. And in the first game, Alex Kidd in the Miracle World, which came out in 1986, involves you going against the evil jankin the great to save prince eggle and the prince's fiancee laura a sequel alex kid the lost stars came out in 1986 as well and features alex kid searching for 12 zodiac signs there was also alex kid high-tech world in 1989 and Alex Kidd in Shinobi World in 1990. The latter is a parody of the Sega game Shinobi and features enemies from that game. There was also a port of the Sierra game King's Quest for the Master System in 1989. This version uses its own engine and has a verb noun interface similar to uh, LucasArts titles. Which is pretty neat.
1: Which makes sense because there's no... You wouldn't have a keyboard on your Master System. Right. I think there was a keyboard, but you wouldn't have
0: one. To go and all that jazz. That's pretty cool. So if you want to play King's Quest without booting into the non-text parser version, you can play it on your Sega Master System.
1: Now, we talked about how the Master System did badly in the United States. But what about Europe. And what about Brazil? I mentioned those like 22 games that were only released in Brazil, including Sonic Blast. It did a bit better in both places. The machine launched in 1987 in Europe under the distributor Mastertronic in the UK, Master Games in France, and Aureola Soft in West Germany. In the UK, it launched at a price point of 99 pounds or about 284 pounds in 2020 or about 390 US dollars in today's money. So the system proved to be popular leading up to its release and there were a lot of pre-orders for it uh, mostly due to the pretty decent marketing that the european distributors were putting forward but there was a little problem sega was not able to deliver inventory until the day after christmas which is a holiday it's boxing day in england but that's still the day after christmas meaning a lot of people who pre-ordered the system for Christmas did not get it
0: right they had to cancel
1: yeah either they had to cancel or the retailers had to cancel so the people who were actually going to be selling the system in stores canceled the orders from the distributors and this caused all three distributors Mastertronics Master Games and Areola Soft to all face massive financial crises with Areola Soft saying it would never work with Sega again Mastertronic was hit so badly that they had to Sell a minority interest to Virgin and they became Virgin Mastertronic, who took over distribution in 1988. It wasn't starting out well. <laughs> However, the new marketing technique going forward was that they didn't want to compete with Nintendo. The reason being was because Nintendo wasn't really in Europe, so there was no reason to compete with them. Who they were competing with were Commodore and Sinclair, who had the Commodore 64 and the zx spectrum respectively and the reason they were able to compete so well against these two um, systems is because while the commodore 64 and the zx spectrum were great computers for their time they lacked in a lot of graphical and
0: yeah they weren't dedicated video games they weren't they
1: weren't so what Mastertronic was doing in england was they were saying hey look at how good these arcade games look on the sega versus how bad they look on the zx spectrum what's the obvious choice due to this and also the fact that nintendo still wasn't in Europe during this time, the machine began to attract developers, and by 1990 the Master System was the best selling console in Europe with the Nintendo Entertainment System hot on its heels. It,
0: Europe was a pretty big market. It wasn't the United States nor Japan who were the two biggest markets when it came to video game buying. And I think they dominate the two markets for a long time. Those those two markets are like the markets that you need to get into uh, have a good video game market. But Europe, they they were pretty solid video gamers and Brazil. In Brazil, the Sega Master system did really well. So the distribution in Brazil was handled by TechToy. Tech Toy was a startup and they had managed to snag a deal of getting distribution rights for the machine somehow. And it was able to sell 280,000 units by 1990. It was helpful that Nintendo didn't get to Brazil until 1993. And by the time that Nintendo arrived in 1993, the market was flooded with bootleg Nintendo games. So Nintendo had to try to be like, no, no, we're legit. And when it's like, no, I've been playing this other Nintendo game. That's been great. Tech Toy actually maintained about 80% of Brazil's gaming market. And to this day, in 2021, they still sell Master System based machines. Tech Toy has continued to distribute plug and play based Master Systems, which include their own Master System 3 and the Master System Compact. And in 2015, they reported they sold about 150,000 units per year and hold their own against the PlayStation 4. TechToy reported that in 2016 they had sold eight million units total. So yeah, the master system is just if you want one, just go to Brazil. That's it. That's gonna be it for our second master <laughs> that's system. It. If you thought we're it was done. gonna be anything great. That's that's it. So to uh talk about some buy weight passes and games that we're excited about buying, waiting and pass, I will let you go first since you went first the last time. Yeah,
1: that's fair. So the game that I'm excited about buy waiting or passing on Seth is called gate I think it's pronounced a lemniscate. It's spelled L-E-M. N-I-S, which looks like Lemnus. So I'm going to say Lemnus. Anyway, I don't remember if I talked about this game. I talked about Deathloop, which is a first-person shooter set in a time loop. This is a different first-person shooter set in a time loop. I have a... I have a a thing that I like and that's time loops. It's a first person shooter, turn-based strategy arena shooter stuck in a time loop, which is like, that's like, those are those words that you combine to give me something I like. That's just a lot of words I like. Turn-based strategy games mixed with Overwatch mixed with Groundhog Day. I, I I don't know. I just love the idea of time loops. It looks kind of cool. I'll probably put it down as a wait because it's an online arena shooter. I have a thing where I really don't like playing online games with people I don't know. Um, that's just a personal choice of mine. So I like I don't even play Overwatch with people I don't know. If like I want to play Overwatch, I find my friends who are available to play with me and I don't talk to anyone else in the game. I literally do not use the mic I just sit in my discord channel and talk to people that I know. And even if I need to communicate to someone who is not in my discord channel, I'll just deal with it. I'll just live like that. I hate, I hate playing games with people. I don't know. It makes me very stressed. I will buy
0: it when my friends buy it. Maybe I'll buy it. Yeah.
1: Maybe Seth will buy it and, and, you know, I'll, maybe I'll pick it up if I can convince my friends to buy it, but right now I'm going to put it down as a wait. Maybe I'll sell it to my friends and see what they think.
0: So the game that I'm excited about buying, waiting or passing on is a game that I have been excited about buying, waiting or passing on for most of my life. And that game is missed. We're talking about the, the Cyan game, Myst. They are remastering it so you can play it in actual VR and all of the graphics are going to get updated, which I'm actually really excited about because I bought the remastered version of Mist that's available now that was remastered like six or seven years ago. And when you open doors and close, it looks nice. It's a very nice looking game. But when you open or close doors, it plays the AOL Instant Message opening and closing of a door. And that's just weird. It's not even even like the, in sync with the door. It's just like the door opening and closing. Anyway, they're redoing it again. And this time it looks really, really nice. They're actually, instead of taking whatever version they had before of Mist and like updating it and hodgepodging it together, this one was actually built from the ground up and you can play it in VR or you can play it on a flat screen, which is a normal monitor. And you just can explore Mist in a whole new dimension. So you can journey back to the ages, unravel the puzzles and be part of uh A really cool adventure that will just be a cool experience. So it's going to be released on August 26th. So it has already been released a couple weeks ago. And I probably have already bought it. But the time of recording, it, it had not come out yet. So I'll be putting this down as a buy. And my reason for that is I've bought all the rest.
1: Well... That's going to be our episode. That's going to be our Byway pass segment. That's going to be the Sega Master System. So let me tell you everything that you need to know if you want to listen to us, contact us, and support us. First off, if you want to listen to us you've done it you've made it to likely around a 45 to 50 minute mark depending on how this episode gets cut so you've you've likely made it through this podcast and you have already listened to us but most importantly if you want to tell people to listen to us or if you want to like switch up your listening experience we're available on all the podcasting applications out there we're available on spotify on amazon on itunes if for some reason we're not available on an application that you want to use you can contact us and let us know the way to to contact us to send us an email classic gaming brothers at gmail.com that is our email you can also send it to classic gaming brothers at classic gaming brothers.com you can also go to our website classic and fill out the contact form on our website where you can put in your information and it will get sent to our email inbox sometimes we get spam from there i think that's where a good chunk of our spam comes from because i learned when i worked for a brief time in web development that if you have a free form Form on your website, you will get a lot of spam. Another fun thing about Classic Gaming Brothers is that we have social media. So we have a Facebook, a Twitter, and an Instagram, and a Twitch. Our Facebook and Instagram and Twitch all use Classic Gaming Brothers to find us. So it's Facebook Classic Gaming Brothers, Instagram at Classic Gaming Brothers, and Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitter is different. It's CG Brothers Pod because of character limits. To support us, ring bells, leave reviews, follow us, all those ways um support us immensely uh, leave us a review on itunes if you can give us a rating on itunes if you can that helps the algorithm so that's really the best way to support us contact us listen to us you can also go to our website and pick up some merch if you want to check out some of the nice t-shirts we have i actually want to get one of our new t-shirts because our new
0: t-shirts look nice which one the snes version I or the, I NES, want the version. nes version
1: i want to get it for next extra life anyway check out our website um we just updated it it's very nice we have some nice pages on there with things to look at uh and that's everything unless Seth remembers something that I don't
0: don't play games like my brother and don't
1: play games like my brother
0: I've been Seth and I've been Zach and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right you know what I don't know for some reason at the end of every classic gaming brother episode I just I just I think we've made too many celebrity death math jokes <laughs> yeah that's true oh you know what was on the Master system? Do what desert strike it was and on the Amiga We have to talk about the Amiga one, though.